sometimes human, sometimes animal, all conceived with extraordinary imagination and a wealth of expressive detail. Live more natural lives in their unnatural habitats. Becoming aware of nature, of natural details, and so forth. But whenever he can, he has to be ready to investigate the unexpected and unusual, because it may contribute to what he wants to know. We're talking about the sorts of things that had an impact in as much as they came from, from one part of the world and journeyed uh, to another and acted uh, in the mode of impact, impulse, influence, and so on. We want to him the man at the wheel who hurls the lance of his spirit across the earth along the circle of its orbit. I'd suggest that we should rather look for changing angles of vision. An inventive tradition which was able to handle with considerable equanimity a long list of wonders. I am here with a very special guest to talk about a much-anticipated topic here on the podcast and in a lot of different circles, practicing chaos magic and eclectic magic and whatever, and that is the concept of cultural appropriation within magic. So, Samaria, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself and your credentials and let everyone know all about you. Sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. So who am I? I am Samaria Dahlia Perez Stanford, and I represent my own ideas here first. I'm not going to say that I represent anybody who is mixed, but I am a mixed person. And so through being a mixed person, I have really been interested in the topic of culture and how do we have identification within those cultures? How do um, other people identify us within culture, specifically from a mixed person's lens. And I'm also a chaos magic practitioner. And so to me, the thoughts I have on being a mixed person and chaos magic really go hand in hand. So I'll, I'll back up, I guess, a little bit and talk about my heritage as that's relevant. Um, both to my magic practice as well as to the topic at hand here. And my parents met in New York. Uh, a lot of people who know New York know that there's um, certain uh, like enclaves of heritages. And my father um, was Ashkenazi, which is Eastern European, Russian, Jewish, and I believe second generation American. And my mother is Puerto Rican, very Afro-Puerto Rican, so I'm like an eighth Black, also maybe a 16th Native Taino-Puerto Rican, also a lot of French and Spanish. People in Puerto Rico are Caribbean, so those heritages all came together of African, um, Hispanic, Spanish-European, and Native. So I'm a, a mixed bag um, when it comes to checking off boxes. It's a conundrum if I have to pick one. It's an existential crisis when I have to pick what what am I on the forums? Like, whoa, what do you mean? Why do you need to know this? I've, I, do I have to pick one? But that's not true. Half of me is this and the other half is a whole bunch. And even in the half is that's Ashkenazi. I mean, my, my father's both Russian and Ukrainian. Anyways, when I got out to... I grew up in the Northeast and I, I didn't think too, too much about my heritages, but I kind of did. 
in the sense that uh, this is a personal thing that probably has nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but my, my father had thought it was best for me to tell my people that my heritage was Brazilian um, from my mother's side and Italian and Greek on his side. And he's not Italian and Greek, my mother was not Brazilian, but in his mind, he thought that those were more acceptable cultures to be part of. So I'm quite a black sheep. If you see me, I have light skin, but I've got really, really curly big hair and curviness. And so um, there was always this mystery about me, I think in my family of why does Samaria have incredibly voluminous, curly, Afro-like hair? And come to find out when I was around 23 is that my grandmother on my mother's side is, or was when she was living, um, Black. And she was half Black from both of her parents. Both of her parents were mixed. Um, she was in Puerto Rico and um, her mother was the product of slave rape. And I learn about this when I'm 23 years old and all of a sudden it all makes sense about why I look the way I look and why there's a certain curve to me and my big hair. And while that seems like it shouldn't matter with a lot of things, it, it did. And through that experience, um, as I was in graduate school, I decided I would turn my focus to my experience of being mixed and interview other people of mixed cultures. The thesis was really, it was called, It's Not Easy Being Green, um, Identities and Identification in Culturally Complex People or something of the like. What I find with chaos magic and being a mixed person is that it's, it's the same. First off, first of all, I'm sorry, I've been going on and on already, but I'm, it's a topic I'm really excited that you invited me to talk about here. And so what, what I wanted to say is being a, a mixed person is we're really all mixed, right? Like I, I don't identify myself as just my heritage. I don't identify myself as just being half Afro-Puerto Rican, Afro-Latina, half Ashkenazi. I don't. Um, there's a lot more to me than those things. And yes, I'm proud of my heritage. Shouldn't we all? Shouldn't we all be proud of the people we came from who struggled um, in their own way such that we are living today? And when I talk about my different cultures that make me up, it's not just the ethno-racial cultures. It's also the fact that um, I'm a project manager for my job. That's a culture in and of itself. That I am a hula hooper and a flow performer and a dancer, and there's different cultural aspects of, of those things that I do. And um, I'm a sister, and um, you know, you can you can go on with all my different identities, and my ethno racial one, whatever you're calling that, is only one aspect of who I am. And so, to say that we're limited to the heritages we are is problematic for me. And when we're talking about chaos magic and cultural appropriation, I think to myself, it's, that's, a, that's tough, right? That's tough. Like, what does it mean for something to be of that culture or heritage? Um, so I can go on with some examples, but I haven't even let you talk. No, no, that's fine. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's good to know like what your background is because like since, since we started and it's because this is such a, um, a sensitive, um, subject, 
um, we we started this podcast and everything, understanding that yeah, the the idea of cultural appropriation is going to come up within chaos magic. Understanding backgrounds from different cultures and people of those cultures coming on and saying like, no, this is this is how we perceive it. This is how we all work as a culture, and um, letting other people tell their story rather than speaking for them. Truth. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for bringing me back to that. Um, I start going on and on and I'm excited, but um, there's a lot of folks who say that when you're doing ATR stuff, African to just traditional religions, um, that that should only be done if you have African heritage. I mean, like the understanding is you have, if you're working in a paradigm such that you have um entity spirits protecting you, if that's certain paradigms that you are operating from. Um, there are people that believe that you are, if you're working in a different paradigm where you don't have heritages within that, within that system, that there will not be entities to protect you while you're working in that system. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, there's no rule book on I mean, once you get into those systems, there's a lot of variety about what the quote unquote rules are. Um, in my own example, um, on the Puerto Rican side, there's a lot of family that I've had that have practiced Santeria. And I uh, learned that magic was through me. I learned that magic was in me. And I've done um, most of the work, the way that I got into chaos magic was based on intuitive things that I would do. I would just have a feeling, get an idea that I needed to do something, um, like a little ritual of sorts, and I would do it. And now there's a lot of different folks within the Santeria um, communities that would say, no, that I shouldn't be doing that, that there's a whole pattern I'm supposed to follow, that I'm supposed to join a group, and I'm supposed to be going through a series of trials and tribulations where I'm only wearing white for a certain time and not going out at dark and this and that. And it's like, okay, I, I didn't go through those initiation processes, but does that make the things that I'm doing any less meaningful to me or my connection with the next whatever we're calling it so that's how i feel about that like i i feel like there will be people who tell me hey you're if you're working in this paradigm you have to do it this way and it's like i'm sorry i don't agree with you and to me um spirituality is valid regardless of what kind of spirituality like i in my own in my own beliefs um and again i'm i'm just representing myself here i believe Chaos magic is so powerful because you are surrendering yourself to the power of belief. And to me, all religions, whatever your belief is, is powerful equally amongst people if if they have that belief as well as well as the being realistic, right? Um, chaos magic, I believe, works under the premise that yeah, it it can work if you also allow if you have the different rules of existence for it, like not going to get a job if I don't actually go apply and do the resumes and have the interviews right yada yada um going on a tangent again bring me back here Yarm Rod. <laughs> no see and that's that's you you touched on something that I've thought um consistently over the years of practice that I've had with chaos magic and its utilization of belief as a tool 
when you practice a paradigm, when you are in that paradigm, like you can only do so from a place of respect because to do otherwise, you wouldn't be believing in that paradigm. You wouldn't be believing in those entities or deities or whatever, because for it to work, you have to believe that those things are real and you have to believe in the work that they are doing and that you are doing through them. So if you don't believe in that, you're not actually respecting it. When it comes to appropriating a culture or taking from it, like, disrespectfully i personally tend to think that it falls within like two categories doing things if you're not respecting that culture and for me those two things are if you are going within that paradigm either looking to like financially gain from it or you are doing so like to like gain on a societal level or like a clout level so like if i practice a traditional african religion and i am very much not of that culture but i start writing books and instructing people like this is how you need to do it or i'm selling things from that culture where i don't have that initiation process or that heritage or that background of heritage instead i'm like i'm just selling myself as this master of this paradigm when I have no background in it whatsoever. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Um, and I like where you're going with it, where you're talking about ownership of ownership and also making profit, right? And then um, really bringing in, like you're saying, the respect and consideration for for the people that, that you're taking that from. Um, you know, as... I go back and forth a lot when people start talking about cultural appropriation. It's it's a really confusing concept for me because things that we do in traditions are really, to me, taken for granted. And, and um, it's hard to tease apart for me what are the things I learned from my father's heritages? What are the things I learned from my mother's heritages? When I've talked to other people who are mixed, it's... We've, we all say the same thing. It's not like, oh, here are the black things you do. Here are the Hispanic things you do. Here are white things you do, it, it, right? You, you don't, we don't talk like that or we don't talk like, it, like there are certain family things that I think a lot of heritages do. Like, um, particularly I'm, I'm really interested in dance and how dance can be used, not just in celebration, but towards a trance type of a thing towards chaos magic and I am really struck by the fact that dance transcends time and space if you go to every single culture <clears throat> that we can think of that has done magic there's some kind of element of dance in it and like like we could be even more microscopic of an example with it and say okay like a whirling dervish type of thing is that is turkish right and they're spinning and it's like do we have something like that somewhere else where there's a big skirt of swords spinning and then like yes there's orisha dancing which is um afro-caribbean and it's like are you if somebody decides to do that where they're with a big piece of fabric spinning does that mean that they're culturally appropriating a whirling dervish Turkish thing or they're culturally appropriate? Like, no, like to me, there's something more interesting about the fact that there are things that people do because it feels good to them. And so the, the exciting thing about chaos magic is 
for me, having multiple backgrounds, it's, it's exciting because I could look at maybe there's different cultural ways to approach things. And I can examine a cultural approach and figure out what's best, what's the best path for me in this situation? Do I really want to be, do this in a Puerto Rican kind of a way? Or do I want to be in more of a, I don't know, Northeast kind of way? It's the same thing with chaos magic, depending on what kind of a ritual I'm wanting to do and what kind of an outcome I can choose a certain paradigm that might suit that desired outcome the most. That's no different than what I do in my life. And not and not everything, like I said, has a cultural thing. Like, like yes, there are origins of things, but then when we get down to it and I start giving you these, these examples of the dancing, that's almost the exact same type of dance, but across two different cultures, two different places, like that's just kind of a human thing at that point, right? And approaching things from an anthropological expect or perspective, I've always believed that there's no there's no culture that exists within a vacuum. Everything that exists within one culture has been developed or borrowed or something from another culture, either one that existed adjacently or one that came before. And when it comes to cultures, like every every single civilization or whatever has is is guilty of just outright taking things from another culture, be it, you know, the writing system in Japanese, all of those were just taken from China. Um, there, there are plenty of examples that exist throughout the world of just like the ones you had said with the dancing that also just ar arise by themselves. Like, um, they, they could have taken from Turkish culture. They could have not, but uh, Regardless, they exist like adjacently to each other and they evolve as such, but there's really no culture that exists entirely within a vacuum. Everything is shared. Basic building blocks are then elaborated on by these different cultures. Because everything is constantly growing and moving, if a culture does exist within a vacuum, it tends to just die out. And that's what we've heard from a lot of people regarding other cultural practices like Appalachian folk magic, the person who we interviewed had said towards the end of it, no, we want you to practice this. We want you to learn it, do as much as you can within this paradigm because we're dying. There aren't many people practicing this anymore. We have a very rich and beautiful culture and without people doing it or showing it the respect that it deserves, it's just going to die out. You know, it's interesting because, um, well, we'll talk about a hot topic about wearing the, the headdress, right? Wearing the native headdress. And um, I understand from a person who I met recently who was um, native and registered as native is that he had the right to wear a native American headdress because he was registered. And you get into this weird concept of registration as being a marker of cultural authenticity when you have a group of people that historically it was going to be in their benefit to not identify as native because being othered is not ideal. You know, for, for myself, I do have native in me and I have a headdress. I absolutely have loved wearing it when I do and I've not posted on social media because there's a concern about what are people going to say about this, which is tough, right? Like, I mean, to me, there is, I have a respect for it and me putting 
this headdress on doesn't necessarily take away from that. It doesn't make somebody that in the sense that, I don't know, if somebody, somebody was telling me, oh, who was not a native person that I shouldn't be wearing this headdress and that it's a matter of respect. And they wanted their dog to dress as a witch for Halloween. And I didn't say, well, you want your pet to dress as my spirituality <laughs> as a costume. And again, I'm just speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for other people. And there, there are many people who would wildly disagree with me. But now wearing a costume, like, okay, that's that's different. I, I get it why wearing something as a costume. But if you're doing something, performing something in a way that is that is for a respectful manner or just because you really like it, right? There was the incident that people were talking about the um, young woman who um, decided she wanted to wear the Chinese wedding dress to prom and people were freaking out and then there was a lot of people from the Chinese community saying no that's we like we like this we want people to learn about our customs and then buy these things from you know so you know when you talk about cultural appropriation it's there's there's the difference between cultural appropriation and appreciation and I think a lot of the times it is appreciation. Now there is, there are moments where it's like, oh, this is not right. Oh, but I think there's, there's a lot of things that can differentiate those, those types of behaviors and activities. And um, I did, I do a lot of Egyptian uh, cat magic. And um, if you know me, you know that cats are, I'm passionate about cats in life and I feel like I understand them and I'm a big contributor to the Blind Cat Rescue Society. Anyways, it's interesting to me how cats are a thing in a lot of different magical traditions, spaces such as Egypt and also in Mesoamerican where you there's a lot of um, jaguar worshipping and that's really interesting to me. So I've spent a lot of time researching Am I of that heritage? Am I of those? I, I don't think so. Maybe if I go far back enough, but I probably not. Who knows? But that doesn't make me feel any less passionate about cats in general as a possible avenue for chaos magic. And so while I've worked in those paradigms, I have researched a great deal. Uh, there was a, an Egyptian cat um, exhibit going on in um, the Museum in, of Art in Dallas and I went and really saw those things up close and really got into it for the sake of um, creating a ritual for myself and I was really really pleased with how it turned out yeah like respect and appreciation versus appropriation i can't say like here are the ways in which we don't end up going down the path of appreciation i'm sorry appropriation versus appreciation but when if you start saying it out loud i think it sounds clear right like what are the things you've done and what are you doing it for and why and why have you chosen that yeah and i think it's i think it's important especially the um appreciation versus appropriation with individual practice um and this is why i tend to differentiate uh, between or between the two with the caveats of you know clout and capital versus you know 
actual individual practice. Because for the most part, if you're just partaking in aspects of a certain tradition or paradigm just on your own in your own house and you're not telling anyone about it or going out and like trying to prove yourself to other people if you're just doing it on your own by yourself like that doesn't really matter because you're not you're not confronting anyone else with this like it's your own personal thing this is this is how you're developing this is how you are practicing there's really like no need to be afraid of any sort of retaliation or anything because this is just you doing it privately. I agree. Spirituality is a deeply personal thing. And we are taught definitely in the Western world to try to be not just tolerant of other people's spiritual beliefs, but really like celebrating the diversity of people's spirituality, as long as those beliefs don't infringe upon mine. You know, when it comes down to it, I wouldn't say to somebody, well, you shouldn't be I wouldn't stop somebody from being Christian. I wouldn't stop somebody from being Catholic. I wouldn't stop somebody from being Jewish if they really got a lot out of that and that enhanced their lives. And they felt that that gave them something to um, believe in. And, you know, if they have, if they have a connection to it, what makes one person's spirituality any more relevant to them than another? And for some people, especially for the folks that we know in chaos magic, they're, a lot of folks end up in chaos magic because they feel like different spiritual paths haven't jived with them in the way that chaos magic can and does. And like you're saying, if it's your private thing, why why is that anybody's business? <laughs> why are the invisible entities that I'm praying to you bothersome to you and the invisible entities that you're praying to? <laughs> and I know that sounds so, I don't want to belittle people's beliefs, but when it comes down to it, ostensibly, like in the physical world, that's what we're coming down to. And I think it's a lit, to me, it's, I'm very much in my own world, a live and let live, as long as you're not imposing. I'm in a world where if everybody's a consenting adult, cool, and they're, and if yours, right, you know, like, and I, I think there's morality across different spiritual beliefs and um, that you can still maintain. So as a question, with your background and um, your mixed heritage and everything, have have there been instances in which you've gone to practice something or it was part of your heritage or whatever um, that you have practiced that you received backlash from other people? And how did you deal with that? I feel like I have been fortunate enough to work with groups that are open enough such that there hasn't been backlash to when it comes to making working with my heritages and there's also a certain amount of trust that they have in me that I know what I'm doing enough to create a safe space for them um and I believe what I'm doing is respectful such that if I invite other people into the metaphysical worlds I'm that are tied to my heritages that it's in a in a good way for positivity and that that will only yield positive results for those participating as well 
so I, I, I've been very lucky that I haven't received backlash, but this is something that's also pretty private to me. So it's not something that I would share across uh, externally, really, because I, in a ways, I know that I would <laughs> if I shared it externally. And uh, the spirit of today, the spirit of these days of the zeitgeist, if you will, is that we're living in this time where people have knee-jerk reactions to how what they're supposed to say when it comes to certain topics and um i understand and appreciate the spirit of where people's hearts are coming from when they speak on my behalf but i don't like it because when people speak on my behalf that's just as much as part of my problem is that I don't want anyone to speak for me because that's continuing to silence my voice in the name, in the, in the, in the spectrum of voices that there are. And I usually don't even have a voice within the conversation of cultural appropriation or race because I'm in the middle. Right. And so um, I get a lot of, you're not black enough. You're not Hispanic enough. You're not white enough. And the fact is, is that I'm all of those things. Um, and I, I love that. I love that in a sense that I make people question what they what they really think when we get into belonging and where and identities and people say like when I'm one eighth black. Right. So if we go back far enough, I would be considered what's called high yellow. And and there is a yellowish look to me. If you kind of see me, I'm really light skinned, but I have really thick, big hair. And then like this obviousness going on underneath everything. And so I would be considered a house slave. I'd be able to interact with a lot more white folks than the, the much darker slaves. They'd be outside and I would be able to be successful in the entertainment industry. Um, being able to interact with whites in that way. But if you talk if you talk to a lot of people now, and I live in Texas, I'm, there are plenty of people who say, no, she's not black enough. Like, just listen to her, look at her skin. And then it's like, well, what are we, what are we taking to mean what is black enough? Like, is it just a skin color? Is it that I, but then there's many shades of black, right? There's people who are blacker than me in a certain way because they have blacker features, but then there are certain people who are blacker than me because they're half black but I have even more features than they do so like uh, while I was doing my um, my master's thesis we started coming up with what I talk about as markers of authenticity that are completely socially constructed that people come up with in these pockets of cultures saying this is what it means to be of this heritage and it ends up being these ridiculous things right so even in my own family, my sister, my oldest sister understands a lot of Spanish, but doesn't speak it. And her friends who are Hispanic and Latina say, hey, oh my goodness, she's not, you should see her kitchen. There's like only white people food in there. And she's like, well, what should I have if I'm half Puerto Rican, more Goya products? And it sounds ridiculous, right? It's hysterical. Like, is she any less Puerto Rican than I am because she doesn't speak Spanish? Like, what does it mean to be of a certain heritage and how much of it do you need to be to be able to be considered that thing? And if we all go far back enough, from a DNA perspective, <laughs> it's all going to cross anyways, right? I, I very much like feel feel that same way with with these markers of authenticity that you've mentioned, like 
they are for the most part entirely arbitrary sure sure what do you what do you think about what i had said about certain folks believing if you don't know that paradigm well enough that you are at risk for coming under potential negative things that could arise because of either not having the heritages or knowing how i see it is like how i've developed um, kind of my own paradigm in which I, I borrow things from indigenous cultures. I don't lift the entire thing whole cloth. I rather take techniques from them. And in the aspect of taking techniques from them, I'm not trying to say that by the methods that I'm practicing this, that there's like, I am able to reveal some truth about it. I don't believe that by practicing these specific techniques that I'm in any way in a position of authority within that culture because there mm -hmm. there are plenty of practices that I've borrowed from whether it be like Miamia Native American or Australian Dreamtime or Mayan traditional religion I know absolutely nothing about how this is as a complete system. Rather, I am seeing how they perform this practice, how they how they work within this tradition, and I'm just borrowing techniques in the same way that like I would borrow a musical instrument. I'm not going to be able to play the same music as them because I don't have the same background. I'll play my own music and write my own songs just using their instrumentation. Yeah, I like that. And I feel like we talked about this offline when we talked about magic is very much an art. And yes. to me, what I love about chaos magic is like there's there's something about different magical techniques that transcend all of that transcend all of them. That whether it's lighting candles or whether it's leaving offerings for um your ancestors or whether it's dance or song or I mean these are things that go across different cultural practices kind of reminds me of another thing um how you had mentioned the like authenticity markers and when it comes to practicing other other paradigms like I'll I'll hear from people that you can't practice Santeria or you can't practice anything from Yoruba because it's it's a vibrant tradition and I don't belong to that culture. However, like these same people will be entirely enveloped in ancient Egyptian practices where they are clearly not part of this culture. So where do they draw the line? Um, is it just because it goes back far enough that there's nobody left to complain to you that you're practicing this? Right. I, I think I could speak to that in the sense that we're going through a really crazy time when it comes to the topic of race. Um, I'm in the state of Texas right now, and there's the issue of critical race theory. Teachers can get fired if they talk about race in a certain way within the classroom. And when we, when our communication and culture, so in, in my studies of communication, I love communication, not just from the perspective of sending a message from um, in, into a channel and receiving it. To me, communication is more about how how do we communicate um, to make sense of things and making sense of things is really how we form culture. So communication and culture all go hand in hand and it's just this like circle of, of stuff. Like we create 
culture by communication and communication reifies and transforms our culture. So, oh gosh, what was the thing that you said that got me down that um, rabbit hole? Oh, where, um, where I was talking about how there are people who were saying like, I couldn't practice or um, begin to practice. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Right, right. So, so the fact that we're limiting right now what we can communicate about in our everyday lives, particularly race, is making that problem exacerbated. Um, when we can't talk about something freely, it really just leaves the elephant in the fucking living room. And to me, um, I've had a lot of meaningful conversations about race within the past few years. There's plenty of people that say, I am not black enough to talk on these things. And I don't care what those people think. Um, to me, that heritage is important to me. My grandmother um, wrote a book of poetry in 1943 called Ambar Mulata. And her name was Carmen Colón Pérez Bejot. And if she's Googleable, and you could find about all these poems that she, she wrote about being um, a woman who is mixed and um, blackness and whiteness and unfairness. And it's like, here we are um, uh, 80 years later and there's still a lot of the same problems and not talking about those things um, to me is a sign that things are not, yeah, of course they're improved in some ways, but there, there's still in many ways when we're having now laws where we can't talk about things in certain ways, it, it's, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. And we're getting the not black enough, not white enough stuff. It's not, so, so going back to the point of, I can't practice Yoruba because that's a vibrant tradition now. I think the, the spirit of that is coming from the problems that we're having with race. And I shouldn't speak for people, but I see a lot of my white friends feeling like they are really cornered into this is the right way to think, to say, and to feel when it comes to these topics. Otherwise, blah, blah, blah. Like you could be seen as racist or, and I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a sensitivity approach with things. I'm not saying that, but I think I used to be married to a white guy and a lot of times I felt like he was silenced in conversations because they're like, well, you're the white guy. But at the same time, um, he was a person who was in the prison system for a long time. Those are like third class citizens. Um, so it's like, to me, it, like, yes, there there is a history of problems with, with Blacks and whites in the United States based on slavery. And that's an issue that still needs to be um, talked about and there's an issue with the prison industrial complex that has further continued the problems we've had with race in this country and don't get me started on that um that my dissertation was on that topic um so yes these are problems and i think because these problems exist and because the Western world at large is not handling these other things. It ends up bleeding out where people feel like they're not allowed to talk about things in certain ways. And they're also not, they have that they have no business trying to learn about things. And 
that's not great. That's not a healthy place to start from because then it's like this. It's like a curtain that nobody wants to pull back. And when we when we have these conversations, when we learn about other cultures, we learn about ourselves, which sounds so hokey, but it's it's so true, right? (laughs) So I think Um, I think what I'm getting from you is like when it when it comes to the the practice of other cultures and everything, it's it's and the practice of other paradigms and elements within these cultures, it's, it makes more sense to use this as kind of like a, a um, starting point for conversation within the, or regarding these cultures. I think so. I think so. Um, And I also think about, um, I'm also with, with the asterisk of what are you, what are you doing in this cultural paradigm? And is it just meaningful? But I would just say that as a human being to anyone practicing um, some type of a magic, are you doing it for good or are you doing it for evil? I'm sure that's a whole nother show. But for me, I like to consider what I'm doing really for the benefit of everybody, not just for my own benefit. And um, how I view the world is how do we lift each other up and um, do things positively to make a positive impact. I realize you got other shows <laughs> what, that what people might not feel that way, but I'm coming from it from that angle. And if you are doing something from a positive angle and you're doing something with good intentions, with respect, while also being practical, I wouldn't tell somebody, oh, you really shouldn't be praying in this paradigm for people who are sick in the hospital to get out of there, right? <laughs> I say if you learn an African dance and it's exciting to you and it brings in you a feeling of joy such that you decide, hey, I want to do this dance while thinking about people who are in the hospital sick to try to bring lightness to them. Why is that a bad thing? I don't think that it is. So, yeah, that's where that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, so it, it kind of boils down to like the practice and magic in general, which is just what's your intent? Yeah, truth. Just being thoughtful and mindful of are there any side effects to that? Um, uh, again, that's another show, right? Um, right. Because, yeah, and yeah. It, it also it has to do with, you know, like intent, but as well, like having empathy and having respect. So if I'm if I'm practicing something amongst a, gr- a large group of people and all of those people are like, you know, I don't think you're doing this right. I'm I feel uncomfortable with the way you're approaching this. Maybe you should adjust your approach. Well, as a participant? Or like as a practitioner, like if I were to step up and do a ritual that was, you know, founded on the Azande people from E.E. E. Pritchard's book on Azande witchcraft. If I were to do something based on my reading on that and like create a ritual based on everything that's in there and all of the other participants were like, no, this doesn't feel right. This feels like exploitative or whatever that should be my cue from like em- or from a place of empathy and just fucking reading the room being able to say well maybe I should change my approach or maybe I should rethink the way I'm looking at this I mean that's that's truthful regardless of what paradigm you're coming from I think one of the benefits of having people to practice with 
is having a community of people to encourage you to do what what is best and encourage you to do what uh what's going to be effective as well as just good just good magical technique <laughs> and the thing about reality right is i like um thinking about um reality in forms of narratives there's always these multiple realities but then there's a group a group narrative and sometimes somebody says something and everybody in the group really receives a different kind of message than the person sent it intended and oh i'm not doing a good job with this metaphor um <laughs> let me back up there neural the narrative of the group at large is just as powerful and, and important as the person's intent who sent the message. Reality is shared and co-constructed. In that, what you're saying, yes, I totally agree that if the group at large is saying, like, wait a minute, what you just said is not quite jiving and here's why. You know, for the Egyptian stuff that I have worked with, it's it's not just been my own research, it's also talking to people who who have studied that as part of their degrees also. And so it's, I think, always a, a great thing if you have those resources available to you to try to understand that you leverage those and that, yeah, especially if you're sharing it, you know, with other people. And like we talked about, if it's something that you're exploring on your own and you're like, okay, there, there's a whirling dervish technique. I'm going to try that at home. I, that's, I don't see how it's anybody's business nor problem if you're deciding, you know, what, I'm going to put on this music and have an intent positively to connect with whether you think it's God or whether you think it's the universe or whatever you're thinking. That's your business if you want to dance in this twirling circle in your room. And then as soon as you go sharing it, it's great to get ideas from other people. Absolutely. Which, yeah, and you, you brought up another point that I've tossed around in my head, which is when it comes to practicing other, other paradigms, like where I'm getting my information, where I'm getting all of my research from, is from people who practice or research these cultures. If they don't want, like, okay, so it's a, it's a book written by someone who practices Santeria. If they didn't want this information disseminated, they wouldn't have written a book about it, right? Um, that's a good point. Um, that is definitely a good point. You bring up researching the credibility of the source, which I think is a, a great thing to consider, not just in um, a magic practicing perspective, but just in general, when you are seeking information through the internet, where there's all kinds of nonsense and people making stuff up, it's always good to be a critical consumer of the credibility um, of the information that you're sourcing from. So absolutely, um, that goes that goes hand in hand with the, the respect element. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like with this person who is a practitioner who is writing and publishing a book about it, like by purchasing this, by participating in this, like I'm helping support that culture. I'm helping, whether directly or indirectly. I'm helping keep that tradition going. Yeah, we get, we're also getting into um, what could be another show, which is, which is that I do a lot of divinations. There are people who tell me that when I give, I give divinations. And so uh, sometimes I'll do it for entertainment value, right? Where it's a friend's party and I'll just set up and 
to me, divination is good practice as introspection and critical thinking. If there's something that you are thinking about or trying to make a decision on, or if you have a conundrum, divination is a method in which uh, it's giving you a lens to view the avenues of, of that. Uh, yeah, I'll do it at a party every now and then. It's I, I agreed that a party where people start getting incredibly inebriated is not the best space for it, but usually people... Usually, if people can hold it together before it's too late, um, why not? It's a positive experience. There have been people who've told me, no, you should not be doing that. If you're not charging any money for it, your readings are going to come out upside down. Your magic is going to come out upside down. And I largely feel like the people who tell me that are, in a way, trying to benefit off of it themselves. And then that's, a, that's why I said it's a nut. it could be another show. <laughs> Where it comes off of, you know, what's what's the relationship between magic and consumers, consumerism and commercialism and being a business. Um, I often feel like the people who tell me that I have no business doing the things that I'm doing with my heritage, magical folk practices, they are often santeros. And it's like, I'm not saying this about everybody in that group. I want to make that clear. And I'm also not trying to criticize Santeria as a whole, but a lot of that consists of it's a business where they'll do rituals for money and some of it is for the things that they need, um, the objects they need for it, and some of it is because it's their time. And I don't I don't have a problem with that, but it could get to be a situation where it, where you take advantage of people. I mean in every in every, in every group of people even if they seem to be spiritual folks, people get taken advantage of. It just happens. So, I mean, there could there could be exploiting on the, on the I guess the opposite of exploiting is taking advantage of. <laughs> it's this phenomenon where, again, I, I feel like it goes back to the intent. Like, are you going into this thing? I'm going to steal this and take this on and do all these evil things or do these things to only benefit me and nobody else and get revenge and take over the world. But then that that could be a whole show on just it, magic and intent. I feel the same way, like where a lot of the criticism from other people based on your own practice where that criticism tends to come from is either, you know, those people tend to either like, oh, no, you're you're doing this wrong because they're an outside people and you need to take advantage of them. Or it comes from a place of privilege and kind of like um, a misplaced sort of approach where, it no, I have to speak for these people because they don't have a voice. And it's, but yeah, but they, you're also robbing them of their own voice by speaking for them yeah absolutely um I, i'll just say it i'm thinking about i'm thinking about blackface if anybody were to do a ritual in blackface i'd be like no 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 like there's a lot tied with that that's that's awful and yes. um to me we're we're talking about like it's learning a dance and doing a dance and learning about the the orishas or learning about the what could be called deities learning about the intent of things is that the same as like and, and it's not no. um so like i immediately envision the worst thing and i'd be like that that would be terrible and lacking respect not just because we've all decided in this heritage that that's not okay 
there's a reason why we all decided that that was not okay. Yeah. I, yeah, because of like, regardless of what your intent is, that practice is rooted in subjugating someone else. That's just right. inherently harmful. Right, right. There are good things to stay away from for good reason. Uh, when it comes to these different, in your, in your experiences, I was, I'd like to ask you, since you said that you practice a lot of native things, have you received backlash on it? I have. I've heard people say, no, you can't practice that because you are, you are not of that culture and you are disrespecting them. To which my response in general is like, I'm not claiming that I'm a master of this at all. I am doing this because I believe that this culture needs to be respected. And like by learning from them, by learning their practices and learning as much as I can, like this is just another facet of humanity that needs that respect. I've also heard like the opposite thing where people said, no, you've brought attention to it. Like there's this culture that is slowly dying off and by you giving it awareness and letting people know like you're giving it honor and you know you're letting it live and it's it's something that keeps it vibrant and alive um but yeah i've i've received backlash but the backlash that i've gotten tends to be like i said from people who are speaking on behalf of those people yeah for sure and and even if you end up trying to go to people who are of that heritage to try to get some type of a sign-off <laughs> of approval, you're not going to get everybody in that group to do that. No. And there's always in every group going to be people who say, yeah, this is fine. And like, no, that's not okay. And ultimately, like, do we do that for the things that we feel are of our own heritages? I don't know. As, as an example, like where, if you could trace your family heritage back, furthest where what type of culture would you say your family is from oh shit like it's it's mostly like northern european um however like the more recent culturally historic thing is i have a lot of family from appalachia um mm -hmm. so like there's there's the idea of like appalachian um, folk magic and the mixture of hoodoo and I've I've heard from people like no because you don't have African ancestry you can't practice hoodoo in reality hoodoo is a mixture of traditional African religions along with practices of the Cherokee and practices of mm -hmm. the Scots-Irish who moved into Appalachia so yes I can because it, like part of it is still my heritage because it's Appalachian in nature um but I'm not offended if people practice Appalachian magic. There's the Foxfire book series, um, which has an entire volume that's just dedicated to like Appalachian folk magic. And it is a dying culture um, because like there's urban development that is moving through this area that is because a lot of Appalachian culture was very insular in nature because it was up on the mountains and separated from most of the cities and things like that. And so it is it is a dying thing, um, especially mm -hmm. with the with the spread of information and the Internet and um, people moving out of their like local towns mm -hmm. where they had grown up and going into college and whatever. But I'm not I'm not offended by anyone practicing that. In fact, like I think it's a very rich heritage that needs to be tapped into and like these things need to be learned and spread and like well why did they believe this why did they practice this keep doing it because it clearly worked for 
thousands and thousands of people. Why did it work? Right. Writing more about this, it, it keeps it alive. That's my approach to it. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing other paradigms and other cultures the same honor by learning what they have to teach, not just like taking everything that they have for granted, but learning as much as I can and taking these techniques that work and utilizing them. So a few things that you said. So first off, with Appalachia, I believe Dolly Parton is Appalachian, and she's phenomenal. So <laughs> yes. that's number one. Um, <laughs> re reason, reason enough to get into that. And number two, you know, you were saying folks were saying, well, you're not Appalachian enough because you're not from there. Well, then I, I have follow-up questions, right? We get into the markers of authenticity and what makes somebody more able to do, more, more qualified to practice something than somebody else. What happens if you were born, what happens if you were born there, but somehow you were adopted out somewhere else? Yeah, you know, or like, somehow displaced, what, yeah. Right, does that make you also because you weren't born in it well let's say you were born there you were raised in it you left and then you had a kid who you know like what are the rules to which make somebody qualified enough to be of that specific right to practice the magic and that's why I like talking about mixed identity a lot because we get into those types of things a lot and then the other thing I wanted to say is that you touched on what I really like about how there's not really cultural. Did anybody go to the Appalachians and say, now, wait a minute, y'all can't borrow Native American traditions. Y'all can't borrow voodoo traditions. Y'all can't borrow. But they did in the same way that when I talk about Santeria, Santeria is a mixture of really Catholicism where they have for each Catholic saint, I believe there's and Orisha, right? And so, but the, that comes from a Yoruba traditions from the Africans because people in the Caribbean were a mixture of both Latin heritage as well and Spain, as well as uh, native, as well as African. And so it's like, d does anybody say, no, you can't borrow for, right? So all, so all, it goes back to what you were saying about a lot of these cultures don't exist in a vacuum. They do borrow, right? So even those that I'm talking about right there, the ones that you're talking about, it's a mixture of already other cultural practices. Like, are we safe to say that we could come down to looking at different religions across a tree and tracing them back to probably a few of the same that have similar elements in them? With your, like, markers of authenticity, there's there's the fact in, like, asking me, like, what my experience is with it. So, um... Me, I, I was born and mostly raised in northern Indiana, where there's nary even a scent of a mountain. But my, uh, my grandparents and a lot of my maternal side of my family all come from Kentucky and West Virginia, where there is a very rich Appalachian culture. I still associate myself with that culture and am, am happy to describe my practice as basically hillbilly alchemy. At the same time, like, no, because with, with, the, with the mixture of Cherokee and voodoo and Yoruba and all of these different traditions that came together in order to create hoodoo and the practices of the Scots-Irish and the powwows of the Northern Appalachians, nobody gets upset about borrowing from those traditions. 
Yeah, I I would I would wonder to myself, we can't separate our mundane selves in the Western world we're living in from when we're practicing magic, right? Like we're still living, we're still living in the world we're living in. And I'm wondering if there are other countries where there's less problems between the races like i mean like i'm just going to bring it right back to the prison industrial complex and the system we have of lacking avenues for socioeconomic growth for certain communities we have in this country it's a tough topic it really is because when you get into conversations about race a lot of people will say well all the problems we have about race are really from slavery but that's not true right because if you right if you go into like the differences with how people are policed in certain communities usually being the black and latino populations over the white populations right the 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 issues of being policed the the issues of you know, the whole like difference between crack versus cocaine, cocaine being way more expensive and then crack and then the offense for getting caught with crack versus cocaine. It was like a hundred times worse. If, right. So all of these are not so long ago and are continuing. And now we're and now we're at a point where people aren't allowed to talk about things in certain ways in public spaces. I wonder to myself if the Western world was able to get it together enough to reduce those disparities, reduce those issues of discrimination and lacking avenues for socioeconomic mobility, would we still be having the same conversations about cultural appropriation? It is cultural appropriation a kind of like a backlash of we need to hold on to something. And maybe it is maybe it is and i don't there's part of me right like i i I have the lucky lens of being able to view this through multiple ways like i'm brown but i'm also white and for a while i didn't know about my brownness in such a way so and i even checked off white forms on the box because that's what my dad was and that's what he would say that i was Obviously, that's how we get into my issues of identity if you look at me, but but I can't, I do have the, the advantage of seeing this from multiple lenses. If I've kind of put on my white hat, it's like, geez, that feels like if I was in this group, I would not want to offend anybody. And that all seems like I've done rituals where I've brought in my heritage and there have been some of my do I, I don't want to keep saying white, but I ha- kind of have to based on what we're talking about. Like, so my white brothers and sisters have said, I've never needed to think about some of the things that you think about or that you express. And that's got to be a position that's difficult where you want to recognize that other people inherently are going to have challenges that you don't based on the world we're working in. I appreciate that sensitivity, but then there's an element where some people just go too far and they want to, A, take on my potential experience as their own when they haven't, B, assume that there's a lot that goes with it without understanding it, and C, not having a conversation with me, but having a conversation for me. <laughs> and, right, so there's extremes. And then there's another I've talked to people who have told me, like, I don't believe that people are treated differently based on 
their skin. And I'm like, I, how do you, how do you think that this, like, are you, I knew people like you existed, but haven't ever talked to them. Like I just, and I, and I viewed that as the person who told me that had said, he got offended that I said white privilege. I said, but it's a, it's a thing, especially as a person who I can, I can pass. I can come in looking a certain way and slick my hair in a certain way. And then all of a sudden really change up how I talk and let my hair out literally. And then they're like, oh, wow. And it's like, I, I get the differences as soon as you become a in a different group because I'm able to chameleon myself in and come out how I really am. The person said that they were offended that I used the term white privilege because he said it meant to him that he didn't work hard for the things that he had. And I'm like, that is not what that means. No, that that's <laughs> not what that means at all. <laughs> and I appreciated him having the conversation with me about it, but it seemed to me that he took this on as an attack on him because I think it was too painful for him to recognize that as a white, attractive, tall man with a low voice, he was going to not at all have some of the issues that a woman of color would. And so adverse to the idea of thinking that those types of disparities exist that has taken on like I'm being attacked, like sort of like this defensive thing, right? This like the shield of protection no i'm not the one who is in privilege like you're you're privileged and like i feel like people just take on their whiteness in a way where it turns in where it swings the other way and they're they're mad they're mad that people are sick of injustice essentially and when they when they kind of didn't have anything to do with it but their forefathers did and I think that's tough, but we're not going to get anywhere unless we talk about it. Yeah. No, there needs to be that communication. And like, yeah, the, the, the idea of white privilege is it's, yes, it is, it is a systemic thing. And it's just, just saying, no, like you have white privilege. You didn't need to work for anything. Well, there's all kinds of privilege. Right, right. right. There are, yes. Privilege. There's, yes. there's socioeconomic status privilege. There's being an attractive privilege. There's able-bodied privilegedness. There's tall privilegedness and why can't we just recognize that there i mean for the folks who can't recognize i think it's just you know it's it's a tough it's a tough time that we haven't resolved this better as a civilized society yeah and that's just coming out in the magic conversations as well um i was thinking like how the the many different types of privilege you're mentioning i think just when it when it comes down to a lot of like individual conversations mentioning that someone has privilege um i think a big reason why people tend to get upset or take or take a defensive stance on that is then it starts coming down like me saying that there's like myself has white privilege and telling someone else that they have that privilege then it starts turning into basically like um suffering dick swinging contest where it's like no right, the, the i've had it worse than Olympics. you yeah 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 right. and so it's like no like i'm i've had to suffer and things yeah well you haven't had to suffer like i have well you didn't go through it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter everyone is privileged in certain ways everyone is at a disadvantage in certain ways but you need to acknowledge that yes 
I have had this privilege and I can do this. Yeah, like that's, I think, a big part of what or how we would be able to move past this societally is by opening up that window of conversation rather than and getting back to the concept of cultural appropriation within magic rather than just, you know, shutting down any conversation about it because you're not part of that culture. You don't whatever. Right. Because the Western world has not done a good job of resolving marginalization, it turn these conversations quickly lose value when they turn into what you're saying as who is most marginalized. Like, right. no, as a mixed person, Samaria, you don't get to speak on this because you're not really truly dark skin. And when you're dark skin, you're pulled over. Like, yes, this is true. This is true that I am not going to win the blackest person award contest. I'm not going to win the I was pulled over the most times contest. But that doesn't make my experience that I have experienced, albeit way less, any less valid in those moments. And it's not about who is most marginalized. It's not about that. It is not about who suffered the most. Like to me about magic is about um, how do we manifest realities in ways to transform our experiences towards the betterment and you know you get into the whole buddhist in in buddhism like there is suffering and there there is suffering of all kinds um i'm not going to make the comparison of the people in third world countries and their suffering versus a person suffering in the western world like yes of course of course it's different of course it is but that doesn't mean that they're still not suffering and that we need to somehow transform our experiences. I feel that a big reason why a lot of people are drawn to magic in the occult is because they feel as though they lack personal agency or they lack, um, they feel disenfranchised. They feel as though they are ostracized by society and by performing magic and learning more about the occult and getting into this it's a means by which they feel they can take that power back they have that control over their lives that they felt as though they were lacking and we all get together because we feel as though we need a community that accepts us for who we are and not based on arbitrary things that we have no control over whatsoever so I don't understand why people would feel the need to just further compound that sense of agency by saying like, no, because of this arbitrary reason based on heritage, you can't practice this thing. And that just seems to like further drive a divide in between people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I loved what you were saying going back to um, if somebody presents something and other people in the room are like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. And there's the conversation. I mean, that again, beauty of community. And uh, I do agree um, for my own self that engaging in magic rituals, especially ones that I feel are, are intuitively coming to me, that does give me a sense of I have control over my life. I have agency in my life or, and, and it, even if it doesn't, right, even I'm willing to accept that it that this is all in my head at any point, even if it doesn't, it gives me a good feeling. And that in and of itself is a result, right? So like the, the placebo effect is still an effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and I'm, cho I'm choosing the narrative for myself that is um, really positive. Like I, I believe just in general in the 
in the power of positive thinking and going into an experience you can really make or break your experience like oh my god this is gonna go so sucky guess what like it's gonna suck because you've manifested that and your attitude the whole time has been poop but if you go in and you're like yeah this is gonna be awesome like you can probably make it an awesome experience even if it's not ideal like make it as fun as you can and to me like engaging in these magical practices and rituals and little ceremonies of sorts whether whether big or small whether it's kitchen witchery or a full-out production um if that's the kind of thing that makes you have fun and also gets your subliminal kind of consciousness to work on something at another level um i said let's do it <laughs> if we're not hurting anyone in the mix and everybody's a consensual adult yeah, let's, let's go for it. Through practicing these different paradigms and everything, like it's, I think if you approach it from a place of good faith, you're learning as much as you can about this paradigm and you're learning not just, you know, their practices, but also the historical and societal context in which gave rise to these communities and gave rise to these different cultures. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And there have been a lot of um, certain magical techniques that I've over time done intuitively, not knowing why, not knowing if it was a thing, and then finding that it was a thing from another culture um, in their magical practice. Going back to what you said about who has the right to do certain magical practices, like if something, if I had an idea to do something intuitively, and I do it without knowing why, and I get a, a sense of connection with either the earth or the gods or the universe, whatever you are envisioning that, that thing to be, is that any less valid than me doing it, having read something? I mean, if I, if I already had the inkling that I wanted to do it and it turned out to be a thing from another culture, Right. And but I intuited that I wanted to do that. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you need to stop the minute you learn someone else did it first? Yeah, exactly. And where do we draw the line on that? Right. <laughs> like, well, other people breathed also. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, yeah, it's it's part of incorporating things into you into like where you live and all of that. Like I, I live still in Indiana and everything. And I have, I've been working my hardest to um, bring all of these native plants back to the land that I live on. But do I need to stop doing that because my ancestry did not come from this, this area. So I can't work with these plants. I can't work with this land that I'm living on. I can't, I can't work with the animals and the spirits that exist here because my ancestors didn't come from here. So I just have to like sit in my room and meditate. And that's the extent of my practice. Right. When we get into the topic of cultural appreciation, I feel like it can get very much a, 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 a he's copying me type of attitude <laughs> which can be very very silly you know i've read things about people thinking that women wearing hoop earrings is cultural appreciation uh, appreci i'm sorry appropriation like hoop earrings come on that's ridiculous i feel like we have to talk about rachel um dolza I, I feel like we have to talk about that because that that's a line there right if she if she had just said I'm in the NAACP because my children are black and I appreciate black culture and my husband was black. I had 
uh, brothers and sisters who were adopted who were black. I've gone to historically black college. I really appreciate hair braiding. Like if she had done all of that, but never said she herself was black, it would have been, I think, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, it would be a different conversation. Right. And to, to say that you appreciate something and that you really like styles and the fashions and that you have there's something about it that resonates with you i think is completely different than saying this is who i am when you were ne- when you know you were never that like come on come on come on come on come on come on and <laughs> that's kind of like it it touches on that one um caveat that i had mentioned where you know you're you're claiming to be something that you're not um, when it comes to actually appropriating things, like by claiming that you are black, you are inadvertently or like explicitly saying that I have black experience. I have experience within this culture because that is who I am versus what you've been saying, which is appreciating the culture and saying, no, like I, un- like I respect everything that this is. I, I enjoy this aspect of culture. Like I am coming into it from from a place of reverence and everything versus no this is my experience is that that's who i am and it's it's the same way as like within magical practice saying like no um just by me you know worshiping the loa and having all of these practices with papa legba and baron zametti just like i i am a voodoo hoogan Um, Mm -hmm. even though I never went through an initiation, I never like integrated myself into that practice, which I have met a like white voodoo hoogan who had spent most of his life living in Haiti and had assimilated with that culture and had gone through the process of initiation. Just saying that like, no, I am a hoogan just because I did an evocation of Papa Legba once. It's just disingenuous from the start. Sure. Um, I'm part of a local African dance group in the Dallas area, and we have a community class that we would do on Saturdays um, pre-pandemic, and it was open to everybody of all ages and of all colors and ethnicities, and there at the end, we learn to dance, and at the end is there's a circle, and you if you're feeling it you go up and you share whatever is in your heart at the dance and it's kind of a conversation between you and the drummer it's this amazing thing and there's the concept of ashe which is ashe is the universe ashe is energy it's like a a spirited joyous type of a feeling it's the stuff that makes the magic and um, when the everything is done, we say Ashe three times, um, which is kind of like, so so let it be kind of a thing. So let it be just sending out uh, like joy in your heart that's out there into the universe. And there was one, there was, you know, it's open to everybody. And there was one day where there was an, el- an older white woman in the, in the group and she was clapping along and we were all doing our thing in the end and dancing and smiling and it was great. And we were all feeling the spirit um, and we were all feeling the ashe. And then at the end I, I came up to her and I said, well, thank you so much for coming. And she was crying and she was like so moved by the whole thing. And she was like, Oh my God, this just felt amazing. And she was moved by the energy. She was moved by the ashe and she wasn't black at all. And and I'm really light and 
it didn't it doesn't matter like we were both moved by the amazing energy that it, that it that existed that we all shared i feel like when you get like in a being in a circle and dancing that's just like a thing across so many different cultures right um being in a circle and singing and dancing and clapping it's i don't know i feel like that thing i said earlier if we go if we all go back to the primitive roots of us all we're all doing that somehow <laughs> that's what's beautiful and uh, to me that's what's beautiful and to me sharing any any kind of a group where you're sitting in a circle and singing and dancing and clapping and um, bringing that energy up regardless of what what origin you're saying that's coming from i think that's still a moving beautiful thing and when you start getting into arguments over you don't have the right to do that and you start getting into arguments of like the the culture police were coming at it from totally the wrong angle i think even within my personal practice i believe that it's my underlying duty to like help other people to like help lift up the individual to help bring agency back to people like to assist my community and do whatever and i think that just doing things to further drive people into separate camps and whatever is doing a disservice you're separating people further when when really like we're all suffering in different ways and creating further differences and like giving people guidelines and saying like this is the only time when you can do this you can't do this because for some arbitrary reason that you can't help whatsoever that you were just born into this world but because of how you were born you can't do this um, I think that really drives people apart. My general life philosophy for a long time has been kind of taken from Schopenhauer. His his basic philosophy was everyone's life is full of suffering and misery, and you should do your best to try and alleviate whatever suffering and misery exists for other people. Because life sucks for all of us, so try and make it suck less. Yeah, I, lo I love it. Um... <laughs> it sounds sad but it's got a good it's got a good meaning for sure um you've got people in this world who are sad that they don't have 100 pairs of shoes you know that they have like 90 pairs of shoes and it's like i feel sad for that person in a way that like <laughs> you're right like if you're fucking sad that you don't have 100 pairs of shoes and you got 90 pairs of shoes that's a fucking sad existence of materialism that i like don't even get me started on that topic I feel like there needs to be compassion across all walks of life. I went, I was in college one time and there was a, a guy that was across the hall from me and I went in into his room and I was crying. I was like, my sister and I, we just can't get along. And we're just constantly arguing and she doesn't understand me. She embarrasses me. And then he goes on and starts talking about how he just... Uh, was able to get back to school. He grew up on the streets. He, you know, was kicked out of the house at a very young age for selling drugs. And I was like, oh my God. And I am so embarrassed that I came in here crying about my stupid problems with my family. And here you are coming in telling me this awful thing. Like I didn't have that kind of suffering. And he had said to me, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make your having discord with your family. Like that's not any less valid. 
And so we're talking about the woman who's upset because she doesn't have a hundred pairs of shoes. Yeah, on one level, that's fucking annoying. Of course it is, but it's so sad at the same time. It's so sad. Yeah, we just got to have compassion for everybody. I've had this conversation recently um, where someone had brought up what they're going through is not that terrible. And yeah, but it, it doesn't matter. Like take pain tolerance, for example, right? So personally, I have a really high pain tolerance. I can sit through an entire day of tattooing and have no problem. I could get a pretty bad laceration and it doesn't bother me so much. Like I can just fucking put some glue on it and tape it up and it's fine. However, I understand that that could be debilitating for someone else. I also personally go through cluster headaches, which are medically a very, very terrible thing. And they are extremely, extraordinarily, and debilitatingly painful. But just because I go through that horrible pain of a cluster headache doesn't mean that if my wife fucking stubs her toe or something, like, that's not painful for her. I'm not going to say, well, you don't understand what true suffering is. You don't... That's just... No, you, you should, like you said, approach things with compassion. You shouldn't go through this competition of who's suffering the most. We should just understand that what is painful for me might not necessarily be painful for other people and vice versa, but despite all of that, we exist as beings that go through suffering and pain, and we should do our best to alleviate that regardless of the intensity of it. Yeah, I feel bad for the folks that feel like they have to be so careful about stuff where it's, it ends up being ridiculous. We had a gathering recently and somebody, the the theme of the night was Mexican food. And they said to me, hey, Samaria, we're, we're sorry, we're, we're a bunch of white people making Mexican food. And I said, first of all, I'm half Puerto Rican. I don't own all Latin food, Mexican, right? Caribbean food and Mexican, they're really different. And yes. Said, Second of all, I don't know how to fucking make Mexican food. I, <laughs> I have my own thoughts based on like I've been in Texas a while. A while. And number three, make your damn food. Like, who cares where it's from? If the, the second you put oregano on it, does it make it Italian? It doesn't fucking matter. Make the food with whatever, with whatever kind of a origin it might have had to start off. And it doesn't matter, even if you do a shit job at making it. I was involved in a biryani competition at work. And I was like, well, I want to make something. So I made cauliflower subji, which is kind of like a curry. And they're like, oh, you made subji. And I was like, I did, I did. And I didn't make it the best. No, no, I'm clearly not. In all of the things I listed out, I'm not from India at all. And I made it using this recipe that I got from a Hare Krishna temple that was like all vegetarian foods. And that was one thing. I didn't do a great job draining out the water, but they said, hey, this is pretty good. And they were excited that I made it. They were like, thank you for learning something and participating in our stuff and for sharing. Make your food. You're, you're learning and you're being open and... I feel for the people who feel like they have to come in and w walk in on eggshells. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I've known I've known plenty of people who wouldn't even bother touching specific dishes just because they had ingredients to them and they were tremendously racist and refused to touch it. I knew of someone in this area who just refused to touch rice because he hated Asian people. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> Despite the fact that Asian people are not the only people who eat rice. <laughs> oh my 
goodness. That's so crazy. Now, would this person eat risotto? No. <laughs> There's, there's a vast, vast difference between someone who is that ingrained with hatred versus this isn't something that I'm used to, that I've never tried before. I've never made it myself, but I hope that it passes the bar of acceptability as far as your culture goes, because I appreciate it. Right, right. When we're talking about these kinds of conversations that are happening now that I don't know if they would happen 20 years ago. I don't know if they would say if I would go to a party and somebody had Mexican night and somebody said, I'm sorry that we're a bunch of white people making this. Again, eat your food. There is no rules or rubric in terms of what kinds of food are appropriate to eat and what's not. And again, I don't own all Latino style foods. <laughs> well, even then, all Latin food and everything is its still a mixture of Spanish colonization plus the indigenous people who lived there. So... Yeah, plus plus whatever. And when we eat Mexican food in the United States, it's generally Tex-Mex because if you go to Mexico, it's totally different there anyways. And so it doesn't matter. I appreciate the sensitivity, but I, I feel like we also have to kind of look inwardly and kind of reset and just calm down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think there's a sort of horseshoe kind of approach to sensitivity as well, where you can be so sensitive regarding a topic that you just become offensive in your approach to it. Absolutely. And that's how people start speaking for other people and muting cultures and muting people by assuming that they understand how I feel about it or taking on um, one extreme perspective and saying everybody in this group feels that way when that's not the case per se. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've uh, covered a lot of bases. I'm really excited to be on your show. Yeah, thank you for coming. I, I think we did a good job doing justice to this kind of thing. As far as the approach of chaos magic and using paradigms that aren't necessarily one that you belong to or have been initiated in or anything. I think the foundation of it is that with chaos magic, you approach things from the get-go with, you know, belief is a tool. And in order for this to work, I have to believe in it. And honestly, in order to believe in anything, absolutely, to believe that it's going to work and believe that it is an effective form of magic, you have to approach it from a place of respect. In doing so, you can't really do wrong. And even if you do, that's why, you know, you work with other people. And by working with other people, you get that empathy and compassion and everything. And it starts a communication. That communication is what we need as a society. We need to be able to understand that there aren't things that we should just shut up and accept. We need to have this back and forth. We need to communicate things because otherwise it's just causing more suffering. It's just causing more isolation, which is the exact opposite of what we need as a society. Yeah, yeah. Amen to all of that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for providing your expertise in this matter and telling us your experiences. Well, thank you for allowing this avenue of expression. It's a great topic. Again, I'm one view of many, but it was really exciting to be able to come and talk about my experiences and my thoughts. And it was also great to hear about what you shared with your family background and everything. And thanks again. Bye. Bye.